0: All right, Daniel chapter one tonight, please. As a result of Judah's rebellion against God, the Babylonians, under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, have besieged Jerusalem, which God said would happen if they would not repent and get their heart right with Him. And one of the major themes of this book is that God is the governor among the nations, He's in complete control. The same God that was in control in B.C. is still in control today. And He will always be in control. The beginning of verse 2 says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into His hand. This was the Lord's doing. And though Nebuchadnezzar did not destroy Jerusalem at the outset, we have seen how he has already taken part of the vessels of the house of God. and He has also taken from among the children of Judah, some youth of the royal line, those who were in places of nobility. He's taken their kids captives and carried them into Babylon. And there in Babylon, they would be placed in a three-year indoctrination program. They would learn the ways and the language of the Chaldeans in order that they could stand before the king. They have changed their location, their names, and they're trying to change their diet. The change of diet to food from the king's meat was to help alter their appearance. We'll say more about that later. And I'll let you know what my wife had to say about that. I'm sure it was also meant to endear them to the king in their new country. Hey, why resist when you got it so good in Babylon? Babylon. Who wants to go back to old Judah? Look what you get here. The change of names was a way to assimilate them into Babylonian culture, but it was also a way to help them forget their homeland and their God. Remember, these are likely just teenagers. They are taking their God-honoring Hebrew names and they are replacing them with Babylonian God, false God-honoring names, I guess you would say, and pagan names to honor their gods. And I concluded last week by discussing how interesting it is that these four Hebrew youths would submit themselves to a new location, submit themselves to new names, but when it came to a diet, they said no. Seems interesting to me. It almost seems backwards. After all, shouldn't they have resisted at the outset when they were taken captive? Shouldn't they have tried to not be called by their pagan honoring names? But they didn't do either of those things. They allow themselves to be carried away. They receive new names, but then they decide, I'm going to resist the king's diet. And I mean, if you're going to allow yourself to be taken into a strange land, if you're going to allow yourself to be given pagan names, why wouldn't you just go ahead and eat pagan food? Right? Are you with me on my thinking here? But they choose to make a stand here on the diet. Were they compromising? They were willing to say yes to some things, but no to others. And I thought I would cruise at least through chapter 6 without causing a mess, but I inadvertently stirred up a hornet's nest last week uh, based on some of the comments I received. I, I am not suggesting these young men were compromising in any way, and I sure didn't mean to confuse anyone. If I did, I apologize. Um, I'm going to try to try to clarify. I closed last week by saying, I really hope this is making sense because I don't feel like I was able to develop this adequately. And so we're going to do that tonight. But please don't feel bad ever telling me if you're not getting it. Amen? I don't get up here for me. I mean, I enjoy the study, but I get up here to to present it. And if you're not getting anything from it, then what am I doing up here? So don't, don't feel bad if you ever have to tell me, look, you just confused me to no end. And so tonight I feel like necessity is laid upon me that I would double back and talk about some of these things more in depth in an effort to clear up any confusion I may have caused. So let's begin by reading again verses 3 through 8 of Daniel chapter 1. Look at what it says. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar and to Hananiah, of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank, therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So it may seem odd to submit yourself to captivity and new names, but then decide to purpose in your heart that I'm not going to defile myself with the king's portion. But it's really not so strange. When you think about God's law for Israel, and it isn't that odd when you consider how God operates. When Israel was young, God explained how He would operate in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Very plainly, God lays out, if you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, I'll curse you. And He couldn't have been any more clear. And God said if they would hearken to His voice, or if they would not hearken to His voice, if they would not observe His commandments and statutes, then one of the curses would be captivity. In Deuteronomy 28, and there's a lot more we could read there, but verse 25 says, The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and thou shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. And then in verse 41 of Deuteronomy 28, Thou shalt beget sons and daughters, but thou shalt not enjoy them, for they shall go into captivity. God was very clear. If you disobey me, the result is going to be captivity. It should have been well known in Israel that captivity was a legitimate method of God's punishment and correction. God has made this crystal clear. Throughout the book of Judges, you'll read the cycle of the pattern of the children of Israel doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and then God would sell them into the hand of their enemies, and they would serve them, and it got progressively worse as you go through the book of Judges. And though they weren't taken captive, we see this pattern of how God operates. When Solomon dedicated the temple and he offered up a prayer there, he he prayed about, if we sin against you and be taken into captivity... And He said this, If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not. And thou be angry with them, and deliver them over before their enemies. And they carry them away captives unto a land far or near. It was understood. You with me? It was understood that this was something that they were, they were taking a chance with if they would not get their hearts right with God, that God had every right according to His Word to bring them into captivity. Now, I've said all this about captivity because when we consider how these four Hebrew young men in Daniel are not resisting their captivity, they're not worried about their names, you have to understand they were, they were among the minority that were walking with God. And because they walked with God, they would have hearkened unto the true prophets. They would, have understand, they would have understood when the, when the prophets of God stood up and said, get right or you're going to be taken captive. They would have known, I've got to take this seriously. They, Daniel and, and these three, they would have understood Deuteronomy 28. They would have understood that this is how God operates. One of the true prophets of their day was Jeremiah. And he was saying, look, it's coming to pass. It is to the point where this is happening. And... Remember last week, I read Jeremiah's words to the captives in Babylon. This was after Daniel was taken captive. It gives us a sense of what Daniel may have understood going into captivity. It says in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, build ye houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof ye shall have peace. This captivity was so certain, Jeremiah tells them this is how you need to conduct yourself while you're in Babylon. And, and also, Jeremiah, he even pleaded with the king of Judah at one time. He said, don't resist Nebuchadnezzar. If you resist against him, it's only going to make it worse for you. That's, that's how real this was. This was how certain this was coming to pass. And essentially, it was understood by all those that walked with God and hearkened to His true prophets that the best course of action was for them to embrace it. That's what Jeremiah said, build houses, live your life, get married, don't diminish. You don't have to be so radical that you end up killing yourself off. I want you to increase, God says. And and God had an end point, of course. And and so, Jeremiah and these, these prophets, they wanted them to know, this is coming, you might as well just learn to deal with it. Now, it may sound strange to our ears, but when you think about it, it really shouldn't. I know in our bravado American way, you know, ain't nobody telling me what to do. I had flashbacks of all the time I've been told what to do. Um, I told my dad once, I was like, I don't know, I was in my mid-30s. I was still in the Air Force, and I'm like, I'm in my mid-30s, and I still have never gone anywhere without getting permission. I always had to get permission from my parents, and I had to get permission from the military to take leave. I still haven't done anything I just want to do. But really, this shouldn't sound strange, especially if you were raised like I was. I was taught when you mess up, it's better to fess up and just take your punishment. And if I resisted when the punishment was being administered, I don't have to tell you what continued. But it only got worse from there. Remember when God spoke to young Samuel concerning the iniquity of Eli's house. Eli was the priest. And Eli went to Samuel and said, I want to know what the Lord's told you. Don't hold anything back. And so in 1 Samuel 3.18, we read, And Samuel told him every wit, and hid nothing from him. And he, speaking of Eli, said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. The family Bible notes had a good comment. It said this, When the will of God is made known... True piety and vigorous exercise will lead the soul to acquiesce in it, feeling that what God says must be true and what He does must be right and good. In other words, it is good to give yourself to what God sees fit. Amen? Whether you enjoy it or not, it's good to give yourself to what God has in store. David said in Psalm 39, I was dumb or I was silent I open not my mouth, because thou, speaking of God, because thou didst it. Because you did it, I I just need to accept it. And I'll borrow a passage we just studied from our Sunday night series in Acts, Acts 5.39. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And my point in all of this, as it relates to these four Hebrew young men in Daniel is they are not compromising in any way by being taken captive. They are submitting themselves to this captivity, but the captivity was of God. And because it was of God, it could not be overthrown even if they fought against it. Are you with me? To resist this captivity would be an exercise in futility. It's going to come to pass. So please don't think I'm advocating that there are times we need to learn to compromise while we're living in this world below. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah understood this is how God was operating nationally within Judah. This is how God was choosing to chastise them. This is how God was hoping to correct them. I hope that makes more sense than it did last week. So maybe that helps with the captivity portion, but what about them submitting themselves to having their names changed from God-honoring name to pagan-honoring names? Well, it really goes hand in glove with being taken captive. Remember, those who have dominion get to assign names. This is why God could change Abram and Sarai's name. He changed it to Abraham and Sarah, right? This is why He could change Jacob's name to Israel. And in Christ, guess what? We are given a new name. Revelation 2.17, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written. Which no man knoweth, saveth he that receiveth it. Revelation 3:12, and I will write upon him my new name. Once someone is taken captive by their captor, they now, the captor now has the power to change their names. I was taken captive by the military for 21 years, and they called me nine different things, from airmen all the way to captain. You just do what they tell you, amen? And, okay, maybe that was a bad example. I, I, I was just trying to loosen it up. I, I believe these Hebrews understood this is all part of the process. Remember how Joseph was given an Egyptian name when he was enslaved in Egypt? He didn't resist, but he didn't compromise either. Pharaoh Necho changed the name of Eliakim to Jehoiakim. Nebuchadnezzar changed Mattaniah's name to Zedekiah. And it's been this way throughout history. I mentioned this last week, but there was no requirement in the law to be called by certain names. It didn't say you have to name your kids one of these 17 choices, right? So, so there was no requirement to have a certain name. In fact, we have examples where people changed their name in the Bible to fit the circumstance they were in in life. Call me no, no more Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. Well, at least she was honest. Yeah. And here's something to consider. We don't know for sure, but it could very well be the name Christians we used to identify ourselves was a title first given us to us by the world's disdain for us. That appears to be the case. The world has always done this, and sometimes what they intend to be derogatory titles end up being compliments. Right? I don't care if they call me Bible Thumper in the military. That's a good name. <laughs> and what other names you think of? But listen, you can't control what others call you. Right, I know people that for years called me Greg. <laughs> it is such a common occurrence that on we, I was known as Gregory. Um, my dad passed her to church with these sweet old ladies in it, and every one of them, Hey Gregory, how's it going? It's Gary. <laughs> Next week, Hey Gregory, you can't control what people call you, and anyway. It doesn't matter what other people call you. It doesn't change how God sees you. And, and please don't call me Gregory. <laughs> I might hate that worse than Gary. Um, amen. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't change the new name God has given you. And once again, my point here is that these Hebrews in Daniel, they're not compromising anything. There was no requirement to have a certain name. Just because they're called by these names, it doesn't mean they were adopting the meaning of these names. I've had people call me some pretty bad names. I'll leave it there. They knew who they really were, and they knew that they belonged to God. And so as we consider their decision so far in light of the law of God, they are right not to resist the captivity because it was ordained of God. And there was nothing wrong with them not resisting their name change. The, the bottom line is, these are not hills to die on. And, and I know as independent fundamental Baptists, we got every reason to die on every hill, and we're so stinking prideful that we know everything. And, and had they died on either of those hills, they would be of no value to anyone because they would be dead. In fact... Had they chosen to do that, we wouldn't even have a book in our Bible entitled Daniel. It might have been entitled something else because I believe God still would have got it done one way or the other. But And, and, and the fact of the matter is they could maintain a clear conscience with God in a, new, in a new location in the world and with new names. Is everybody with me so far? And in light of God's law, we can see why when it came to their diet, that's the hill I'm choosing to fight for God had issued a set of dietary laws that were meant to honor him he told them what he deemed clean and what he deemed unclean to eat (laughs) I feel so bad for them every time I I smell bacon cooking And, and I maintain this is why they fought with the Philistines so much they smelled the bacon and it made them so mad they couldn't eat it they had to fight the Philistines Now, those who sought to honor God in our account, they have reached a a point where they say, I can't. I can understand the new location. I can even understand you calling me this, though I don't agree with it. I cannot go with you with a new diet. Why? Because God had issued a law. And so Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Why? He needed a clear conscience before God. Was Daniel defiling himself by being taken captive? No. Was Daniel defiling himself because the world decided to call him by another name? No. But he would be guilty of defiling himself if he ate contrary to God's law. And and this word defile here, it's here for a reason. It's very purposeful. Through the book of Leviticus, it's one of the the main terms that you come across. And God said, don't do this, you'll defile yourself. In in fact, I think I've got it somewhere in here. Leviticus 11.47, it says, after God laid down some dietary laws, He said, to make a difference between the unclean and the clean, and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. And so God wanted them to understand that, look Israel, you will defile yourself, If you don't follow my laws, you can't live any old way you want. Amen. And and part of God's way of explaining to them, this is what's right and this is what's wrong, was their diet. Could they live holy in a foreign land? Sure. Could they live a holy life with new names forced upon them? Yeah. Could they live holy and eat whatever they wanted to? No. No. And that was the issue. They could not have a clear conscience with God if they ate any unclean thing according to God's law. Now, aren't you glad that's been fulfilled? Amen. I love all the stuff that God said not to eat. Man, I love catfish and crab and, you know what I'm saying, pig. What is that, like the best animal ever created? I mean, ham, bacon, sauce. what else? I mean, pork rinds. Where are you at, Brother Brock? Yeah, man. Good stuff. Now I want to make application again this week, but hopefully, it'll, hopefully it'll be a little more clear this time around. I don't think I need to convince any of our senior saints that we are now living in a post-Christian society, and maybe I don't have to convince any of you here tonight. It's clear, but our seniors have lived through a rise and fall in this country that is painfully obvious. For example, some in here tonight saw when the phrase under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance in 1954, but now they're watching as God is being ripped out of public institutions and governmental places. And of course, now you know there's a move to take that out from the pledge. There was a time when the Ten Commandments were allowed to be posted in our public schools. There was a time when public schools opened in prayer. There was a time when hardly anyone worked on Sundays because everybody was closed. There was a time when no alcohol was sold on Sundays. Listen, I remember that growing up in the county I grew up in. We'd go down to polis and there's no alcohol being sold on Sundays. And I'm not that old. Did you know there was a time when most of the mega churches in America were independent Baptist? The, The first mega churches in America were independent Baptist churches. There was a time when stadiums would be packed with people just wanting to hear the gospel. Isn't that amazing? All of that's been over the last 70 years, and that ought to show you how much has changed in one lifetime in our nation. And I could spend all night giving you examples, and sometimes I'd like to, but there's no doubt we have removed ourselves from God as a nation. We have left our godly foundations. The evidence is clearly all around us. And while some of you may have lived through it, our younger saints will never know a difference. The Cold War was good for this country in more ways than one. And I'd like to just harp on that for a minute, but I won't. But isn't it sad that all the blood we've shed to stop communism we're now allowing communism into our country? In fact, in some places, it's being openly embraced. Now, with that being said, what should we expect as a result of our departure from God nationally? Should we expect any less than what we're studying here in the book of Daniel? This is what we're seeing come to pass in our day, what they're going through. We're in the same location, but it looks different. Right? There's different things being taught. There's a new curriculum. Meanings and definitions and names are being changed. We are in a post-Christian society and we are venturing into waters that Christians in this country have never had to navigate before. And Some of it's rushing over us like a tsunami. It's changing so fast. What do we do now that we find ourselves living in a post-Christian society? I mentioned last week how these four Hebrew young men had some things they were willing to say yes to. And they had some things they were willing to say no to. And I tried to make an application that there are now things we need to be prepared to say yes to and things we need to be prepared to say no to. And I think I may have come across as advocating compromise, but that's not my intent at all. And maybe those weren't the best choice of words, so I'll put it this way. There are things we cannot control, and there's things that we can control. And I was purposefully being vague last week. For the most part, I'll continue to be vague because I don't want to be the one who sets your standards or drives your convictions. You need to get that from God and His Word. Amen. I also recognize that we're at all kinds of different growth points in here tonight. And some things may be said that a, that a new believer may go, that's whack. Hopefully this isn't too controversial, but I'll use the COVID-19... As an example, I could not control the measures and the requirements our government put in place. But I could control what went into my body. And, and I, don't really I don't really care if you received the vaccine or not. That's, that's not the issue to me. The issue is whether or not you could maintain a clear conscience with God through it. You'll have to stand and give an account to God, not me for you. Right. Listen, I can't control the government passing laws changing the definition of marriage. But I can control whether or not I adopt those laws. I may not be able to change the curriculum in the public schools, but I can control how I educate my children. I can't control the government passing laws legalizing wants illicit drugs but I can control what I consume. I may not be able to change which establishments are allowed in our city, but I can control where I go. I can't control what's out there on the Internet, but I can control what sites I visit. I can't control what programming is on the television, but I can control what I watch. And I can't control what's on the radio, but I can control what I hear. I think you get my point here. If we aren't already, then we are very near to living in Babylon. And and listen, we have to come to terms with our new location. We have to understand there's a new educational system being forced upon us. There are new names that the world may call us. The anti-God movement is upon us. and We are living in the midst of a great falling away. These are the days of apostasy. Paul wrote about that. Now, I believe there's still hope. I'm not saying we should give up by any means. There's still hope because we're still here giving the gospel. Somebody say amen. The gospel can save to the uttermost. And when enough people get their heart right with God, it changes a city and a nation. I am saying that while we now live in a post-Christian society, we can control how we live. We can control whether or not we defile ourselves. We can control whether or not we honor God. And this is the challenge. Do we swing the pendulum so far to the right that we end up dying on a hill that God never said to die on? Now we're of no value. Or do we swing the pendulum so far to the left that we have compromised at every turn that we are of no value? Because we stand for nothing. Or will we be able to find the balance of living for God in an ever-increasing godless culture? The answer is we must find a way to live for God in an ungodly world. We have to be in the world without being of the world. And the fact of the matter is, please get this, you think it's bad now. It's been way worse. Listen, it was far worse for believers in the first century when they were turning the world upside down. The Babylonian Empire was a wicked place to live and yet these four young men figured out how they would live for God. The Roman Empire was an ungodly and wicked place to live and yet Christianity spread like wildfire during some of the most wicked men who have ever ruled on this earth. There are nations today who are persecuting Christians to death. So... We're not some unique situation. We act like we are. Oh my goodness, they changed the definition of marriage. This is nothing new. I'm not saying that we have to just compromise. But we have to understand this is how the world acts. It's going to continue in this direction unless something changes we've just had it so good in America that now we think we have it really bad. Paul said, you haven't, you haven't resisted unto blood. I don't know if anybody in here has spent a night in jail because you were preaching. Amen? In reality, what we're seeing in America is nothing like what believers faced in times past. Study some of these Caesars in the first century and you'll be appalled at what they were doing. I believe that first century believers would be tempted to look at us and laugh. Man, if we had it that good, imagine what we could have done. So we have to find the balance of living among unbelievers in this world while not defiling ourselves. We're not some unique case. It's happened before. And we're probably still the best place to live. Somebody say amen. What a blessing to have the freedoms we do. We Listen to me now, and I know I've got to wind this down. We have to know how to pick our battles. That's good marriage advice too, by the way. Some of you look like you needed that. Pick me up. Daniel purposed, what I can do, I will do. He couldn't do anything about the new location. He couldn't do anything about the name change. But I can control what I do. And that's what we need to learn to do, folks. What we can do, that we will do. We are called ambassadors for a reason. This is foreign territory. Well, I may have to mention some of this again next week just to tie a ribbon over it before we move on. But I hope this made a little bit more sense and what I'm trying to communicate to you. In some respects, you just need to go ahead and pull up your socks. I was going to say something else. No, don't say that. Okay. I was going to tell you to pull up some other garments, but my wife said no. And uh, you might as well just get get with it. Amen. Our young people are going to live in a world that they're never going to understand some of the things that some of you senior saints saw. So we need to do our best to train them, to help them to be good soldiers for Christ. Well, I've got to wrap it up. I'm sorry. All right, let's pray.